Our first scripture reading this morning is from the 42nd chapter of Isaiah, found on page 630, for those of you following along in the Old Testament in your pew Bible. Here is my servant who I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a dimly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be crushed until he has established justice in the earth, and the coastlands wait for his teaching. Thus says God, the Lord who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, and who gives breath to the people upon it, and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I have taken you by the hand and kept you. I have given you as a covenant to the people, a light to the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to idols. See, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before they spring forth, I tell you of them. May God bless the reading and hearing of his word.
from the Gospel according to St. Matthew, the third chapter. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for it is proper for us in this way to fulfill all righteousness. He then consented. And when Jesus had been baptized, just as he came up from the water, suddenly the heavens were opened to him, and he saw God's Spirit descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from the heavens said, This is my Son, the Beloved, with whom I am well pleased. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Join your hearts with me in prayer. In the stillness of this time together, O Lord, may our hearts and minds be quieted to hear your word, to receive your grace, and to be reminded again that we are your people to Christ's glory. Amen. So here we are. According to my notes, I'm supposed to fill the font, but that part was already done. <laughs> Center stage. Replacing what last Sunday was the Advent wreath and blazing Christ candle. Right? And this Sunday, the first Sunday in Epiphany, is always the Sunday of the baptism of our Lord. That the sacrament of welcome signed by water reminds us that the flame that we saw last week of Christ coming into the world moves us to the next elemental piece of our faith, of our salvation. At what age, how old were you, when you knew you were loved. At what age did you wake up and say, ah, I am now truly part of my family? Kind of a silly question, isn't it? Do you recall when you came home from the hospital and your outrageously nervous parent or parents looked at you and said there is no manual? and suddenly trembled at the anxiety of the fact that this was going to be 24-7 for the next 18 years? And older parents chuckled and said, 18, if only. <laughs> it is hard to realize when you're a parent that the experience you had looking into your fragile little baby, into their eyes, touching their unbelievably tiny fingers, marveling at their little muffin feet, that at one point, someone did exactly the same with you. That what you felt for your child, the love 
the overwhelming reality of parenthood. Just your short lifetime ago happened. As a parent, either biological or adoptive, said, wow, you're here. You're mine. Regardless of what unfolds in the days and years to come, it is a very human desire that every infant who enters into the world, you biologically or connected through adoption, knows that they have been born to be loved. To be loved. That's the fellowship of the Christian church that we proclaim here. No matter who you are, no matter where you have come from, no matter where you are going to go, this community proclaims at baptism that they love you, that they welcome you, that they want you. Now, baptism is practiced in a lot of different ways, in many, many forms through the Christian church. And the church itself is genuinely fragmented over the requirements and the forms of what makes baptism valid, right? From time to time, to get those thoughtful juices flowing for the preparation of a sermon, I will go to Wikipedia, that font of all perfect knowledge, and type in a word or two that is related to the text or toward my thoughts and and uh, in preparation for this service I went to Wikipedia and typed in baptism <laughs> exactly Jeremy exactly <laughs> um, immediately the orange circled exclamation point appeared at the top of the page that said this article contains a number of unsubstantiated quotations with no reference to secondary sources please help and as you scrolled through the various traditions like Moravian Orthodox, at the bottom of each one of those was another orange encircled exclamation point that said, article needs help. I was bemused but not surprised because when it comes to any real world activity of the church, we have a real hard time particularly agreeing on what it's supposed to look like, even though in some form or another we almost all do it. Back in the early 80s, there was a gathering of the World Council of Churches in Lima, Peru. Delegates were sent from all over the world to Lima, Peru. And they were going to hash out once and for all what baptism meant to the Christian church. It didn't go well. They produced a document, but it was a document that contained more footnotes than text. When you baptize, what is the appropriate age or context for baptism? What is the faith articulated by the parents or by the baptismal candidate? Do you only use water? Or because in baptism there's the presence of the Holy Spirit, are you also supposed to use oil? It's not really baptism in some cases unless you grease the baby down. In many Orthodox traditions, they'll actually take and mush up bread and mix it with wine, and the child will also receive the sacrament of the Eucharist upon their baptism. 
scandalous. In other traditions, they don't want to danger the choking with the bread, and so they just used a spoon to put the wine into their mouth. By the way, the phrase, born with a silver spoon in your mouth, comes from that tradition. Likewise, the notion of the christening cup. Here, the pastor either uses his hand or uses her, her hand, uh, or in this case, I've grown fond of using this shell dish because, I don't know, it keeps my hands from getting wet. In other traditions, after there is the celebration of baptism, they're then also given in the Coptic church a mixture of milk and honey. Isn't that curious? And then, of course, the question is, how much does the baptismal recipient need to understand and be cognitive of what is going on? And doesn't it make more sense that they personally can receive the baptism because they understand the sacrament and their commitment to the community of faith before the community of faith says, you're being welcomed? Figuring out what baptism means even becomes more complicated when you consider that our brothers and sisters in the Salvation Army and in the Quaker Church don't do baptism at all. They claim that they are baptized, but there is no particular right that they undergo to become parts of those expressions of, yes, I'll still call it Christendom, even though at no point does anybody get wet. Never mind the cacophony of advice, it is possible to agree on perhaps this little piece. Somewhere in the swirling smoke of all of our traditions, one thing is shared. Whoever is being baptized is loved. Jesus came to the shores of the Jordan River to see his second cousin, John the Baptizer. John the Baptizer was not keen on baptizing Jesus in the moment, as we learn from three of the four Gospels. But Jesus prevails, and John baptizes him anyway. And then what happens in that story? In all three of the Gospels where we have that baptismal story, Mark, by the way, has no baptismal story. Um, it's because Mark just really wanted to get to the point and be very, very narrow. But Matthew, Luke, and John all have essentially the same account. When Jesus is baptized, three things happen. One, the heavens are opened. Two, the Holy Spirit comes down like a dove. Now, in some of the Gospels, it says, like a dove. In other Gospels, it says, he was the only one that saw it. And then the third thing that happens is a voice booms from heaven. And in all three accounts, the booming voice says exactly the same thing. This is my son. I love him very much. And this is really making me happy. This is my son. I love him very, very much. And with this, I am well pleased. And while there may not be an opening of the heavens when we perform baptism here, and maybe there was at your baptism. If I wasn't there, let me know. And maybe there was no release of the doves, the sign of peace and presence of grace and the Holy Spirit. But I am very confident 
that somewhere in that space, whether it was beside a creek at a Baptist camp or a lake at a Pentecostal revival or a font in an Episcopal church or a basin and, or tub in a Baptist church or at this very font, a voice in the room rang out either in the intonation of the people or the expression of the officiant that said, you're God's child, you're loved, and you make God very happy. What happened? What happened inside of us? I think Brian's confession was was spot on. Something happens between those moments and when we get up on any given Tuesday for work where that miraculous moment is completely obliterated from our functional memory. We're loved. We're God's children. And our very being pleases God. But just like we forget those moments. It is, I believe, important for us to hit a pause button and go back and look. So here on the first Sunday of Epiphany, when we take a look at the baptism of the Lord, we're not only looking at that historic record in the Gospels, but we are also reminding ourselves of what God is saying every day about us that began on that first day, perhaps celebrated in the fellowship of the community of faith. When we were baptized, whether it was as an infant or a teenager or an adult or a senior. In the Presbyterian Church, ordinary baptism is to take place in the context of a worship service. It is to be the reminder that we are not baptized into a private relationship. We are baptized into a community of faith. And that the vow that is taken at baptism includes not only the parents, but more importantly the congregation that says that we will support the parents in raising this child in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Which for many of us has something to do with, I don't know, Sunday school and whether or not you should spank. But when we think about our own baptismal vows that we have spoken in the presence of parents and children at this font the nurture and admonition of the Lord to which we have pledged is the repeating of those phrases said at the baptism of Christ. This is my child. I love them. And their being pleases me beyond words. That those are the nurturing and admonishing words of the community of faith in the act of baptism. I said in the Presbyterian Church, we ordinarily baptize in the context of a worship service so that everyone remembers that the act of baptism is a welcome not into a private experience but into a communal relationship. There is such a thing as extraordinary baptism in the Presbyterian Church. Uh, It occurs when someone in the family or the child itself is too frail to be able to make it into the context of worship. And so the minister and an elder go to where they are I've done baptisms in neonatal intensive care units for very, very fragile infants and pronounced the same words upon them to the comfort of their parents 
and often to the tears of loved ones. But immediately after that baptism, when the session of elders gathers again, it becomes my responsibility to report back to the community this has taken place. Our vows and obligations to this infant are no different than if they had been here. There are in some memories of my ministry things that happen, singular events, but in the context of things that happen again and again. But because of that one singular event, what happens going forward is permanently changed for me. I, for a period of my ministry, served the first Sunday of every month at Lutheran First Lutheran Church of the Trinity in Bridgeport. It's at the corner of 31st and Union. I ended up there the first Sunday of every month because I got a call from their church administrator who said, we've burned out all the Lutheran pastors and now we're calling through Presbyterians. Can you come and bring us communion? Well, who could turn down an offer like that, right? Very early in my ordained career, the Lutherans and Presbyterians thought that we could make each other's sacraments work. Turns out we were right. But the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, Chicago Synod, didn't have any extra spare ministers lying around. And at the time, I was directing a counseling center, which meant my Sundays were free. So I agreed. Came to First Lutheran Church of the Trinity. I cannot express to you what an incredibly sad sack group of confused people that turned out to be and how marvelous that experience happened to be. It was a raggedy congregation. It was an unbelievable mix of old German immigrants. Some of them had arrived here before World War II, others after. There were Lithuanians there. I don't know if you remember the healthy food restaurant on Halstead, one of Chicago's great Lithuanian cafes. One of the co-owners of that was Lutheran and came to First Lutheran Church of the Trinity. And then there were a large number of Hispanic individuals and families that came, but their English wasn't good enough to know that it wasn't a Catholic church. And so they worshipped there anyway. We did, after all, have a large carved Jesus up in front, so they felt at home. There were also no small number of Asians who their own immigration had brought them to America and at some point they had adopted the Christian faith and so they wandered south from Chinatown and still they saw a big spire and knew they were home. And then a cadre of homeless men and women, most of them appearing elderly, though I know they looked older than they were chronologically, coming in out of the cold, offering prayer, huddling together for hope. It was the custom of First Lutheran Church of the Trinity to take whatever ordained substitute they had on that first Sunday of the month and let them know if there happened to be some baptizing that needed to be done. And in their tradition, the tradition of that congregation, following the worship service and the sharing of communion, whoever had a child to be baptized would meet up front by the font in the sanctuary and a brief service of baptism took place. No time for instruction. This was not a teaching moment. If you had a baby and you needed it baptized, it did not matter even if the congregation knew your name. You were there 
you had a kid, it was time for the sacrament. There was one woman in particular that grabbed me after church almost every month. She was German, had a thick German accent, though she had been here since the end of World War II. And as she would talk to me, she would always complain about the fact that her husband, who had passed away, in fact, he had been shot by a tenant in one of the buildings that he owned, that everybody was all upset over what he did do or did not do during the war. Who cares what he did in the war, she would say. We did what we did to survive. And then she would lapse into a racist rant about every sub-ethnic group you could possibly imagine in the city of Chicago and how they were awful. I didn't even know there were ethnic slurs against Belgians. And I'd take a deep breath and try and pass to her the peace of Christ, but she would hustle off to coffee hour, grabbing the ear of the next person to complain about them. So, one Sunday, when I was informed that there would be a baptism after worship, and I made my way to the front of the sanctuary by the font, and I looked up, and here was a very, very young Hispanic mother, and a taller but equally young African-American father, a boyfriend and a girlfriend, stammering up to the font because baptism was something they were told they had to do. The mom knew virtually no English, the dad knew virtually no Spanish, and we asked absolutely no questions. A cousin translated for everybody involved. And when I had completed the sacrament of baptism for this tiny, tiny baby girl, I looked up, and there she was. The baby! I want to see the baby! And she ran down the center aisle, and before I even knew what had happened, she snatched the infant from my arms, a biracial girl of unwed parents, and I thought, oh, God, oh, my God. And she took the baby. She held it. She smothered it in kisses. And she said, oh, you are loved, you are so loved, you are so loved. And she looked up the parents and said, a good thing you are doing here, bringing your child to be baptized, to be part of the church. Oh, bless you, bless you. You have brought your baby here. It is a good thing that you do. She kissed the little girl again and handed it to the African-American father. And as he bent, she kissed him on the head and reached over and assigned a blessing to the mother. And said, oh, we have joy here today. And then she walked out through the sanctuary and into coffee fellowship and began to complain again about <laughs> everyone. But it changed me. It changed my understanding of baptism. That no matter what we, as a result of sin, become after the fact, no matter who we are before the fact, in that brief moment, the heavens open. 
And the spirit descends like, like a dove. And a voice booms. You are my child. I love you. And your being brings me joy. Joy. And it has become impossible for me to think about baptism the same ever again. Ever again. Amen. Please stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith in the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty. Maybe seated.